Bernice and Dave Epperson were faced with a dilemma. It was 1983. They were busy raising a family, working, running a volleyball club, and also helping coordinate the large USA Volleyball Sanctioned National Tournament each year in their home state of California. But despite the success of the tournament in California, a decision was made by the powers that be at USA Volleyball to move the tournament the following year, 1984, away from the West Coast to uh, um, Rhode Island. The tournament, which featured as many as 70% of its teams from California, was moving from the Golden State to the smallest state, over 3,000 miles away. Let's see. The Olympic Games were coming to L.A. in 1984, yet the powers that be at USA Volleyball thought moving this highly successful event, an Olympic sport no less, across the country would be a good idea. Bernice and Dave didn't see it that way. So they started their own event, and thus the legendary Volleyball Festival was born. I'm a Venice, California-born, Los Angeles-based sports fan, one that has played, coached, announced, and promoted sports my whole life. My love affair with sports started in my own backyard and has led me to this podcast. Thanks to the support of the Amateur Athletic Union in East Bay, I'm excited to bring you Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. Hello, Sports Storians. Welcome to Audio Video Podcast, episode number 53 of Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. Hey, can't we all just get along? This pandemic is tough, but together we can overcome it. So in the words of the Reverend Al Green, let's stay together. This is part one of the story of Bernice and Dave Epperson making the move and creating the event that changed the sport of junior volleyball, the Volleyball Festival. Before we go much further, we need to say hello to the producer for this podcast, which of course is the uh, top-rated video podcast in the Sentinella Adobe Corridor. She's also producing the SSDL5 slate of shows on YouTube. She's a 2000 AAU Beach Volleyball 10 and Under National Champion Gold Medal winner, Marley Rice. Hi, I'm back. (laughs) She's back. Uh, Did you guys miss me? I mean, I missed you. It's Mm -hmm. been a long time. We've been in quarantine for how long? Man, it feels like four years. Yep. Um, I have so much to tell you guys. If you guys are listening to this on Apple or Spotify or iHeart, any of those places you're listening, you guys can actually find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash SSDL. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where you can find all of our video podcasts. And they're actually really kind of cool. So if you're bored at home, which I know most of you are right now, you guys can head on over to our YouTube and find all these video podcasts as well as our live shows. That's right. So we have live shows, man, it seems like every day, but twice a week. Uh, Wednesdays and Fridays, we have our live shows at 5 o'clock. That's Pacific time. Mm-hmm. Um, and on Tuesdays, we have a really cool series that I love, that I thought of. Don't let Denny steal the thunder from me. Um, the Never Seen LA, and actually Darren Rice thought of mm-hmm. that name. <laughs> Um, this is where we go to Jonas Never's murals around Los Angeles. Yep. They're really freaking awesome, honestly. And if you have a mural that you know about that you want us to go do a little five-minute mini documentary series on it, hit us up. Info at sportsstoriespodcast.com. And let us know where your favorite mural is. Maybe you'll see it on Never Seen LA. Mm-hmm. Those are on Tuesdays. Yep. What else, Denny? Man. Uh, you know, we also distribute on the high school narrative. Um 
And then I've been doing a few people's podcasts lately, yeah. right? We call it Dope mm-hmm. Denny on other podcast episodes. Very good. Um, our dopes are really cool. So Denny goes on, um, tells us about the stories that we have on our YouTube. Yep. And you've been on Off the Ball podcast, What the uh, Game Means to the, Me podcast, yep. Brandon Sports Talk. Heck yeah. Those um, have been fun. So we try to put those up, uh, link those. You know, I put a lot of things on um, on my Twitter account. Totally. At Sports Stories DL, you can always get the information there. You know, I have a Karch and Sinjin running pole there. It's <laughs> been pushed to Game 7 of a competition between the two for King of the Beach. A um, bunch of questions that don't have anything to do with their beach volleyball playing ability. But you should um, check me out there. You know, I also did like a tribute to Gail Sayers when he died. We have uh, clips from our live show and more. We have so much cool stuff. And if you want to find any of our links, you can go to our website, mm-hmm. uh, sportsstoriesdl.com or sportsstoriespodcast.com. We're mm-hmm. both of those. You can find all of our links, all of our social media links, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and the link to our YouTube live shows. This, our video um, podcast episode, is what we started with, and it's what we tend to be most proud of. Um, we wanted to first in this particular episode uh in these two episodes thanks roger gowdy of the amateur athletic union he's the president and chief executive officer he's also the national volleyball chair for the aau he wanted the story of epperson's of the epperson's to be told so marley and i hopped on a plane for houston and we sat down with the one and only dave epperson now dave was sure to acknowledge the instrumental work of his wife bernice who was not available for the interview We also want to send out special thanks to Brian Kelly for coordinating the visit and for sitting in on the interview. You know, we were so fortunate to hear the story about the development of a unique format, along with the fun and groundbreaking ways to bring the entire community of volleyball together through a celebration that is the Volleyball Festival. It was all devised by the Epperson family out of love of sport and family. The Volleyball Festival broke ground not only in volleyball, but in the world of youth sports. We've made best efforts for you to hear this interview. The audio we had captured via the headphones was lost due to a software problem. But thankfully, audio specialist Chris Allport was able to put together the interview from the surrounding cameras. Much thanks to you, Chris Allport. And our most heartfelt thanks go out to Dave Epperson for allowing us to come into his home for what we will release as a two-part interview. In this part one, we get to know Dave's background. He was a standout athlete in his youth, attending Stanford University and competing in basketball against the likes of Bill Russell and Casey Jones. He even played some two-on-two volleyball back in those days. This guy, a true pioneer. Dave will also tell us about the beginnings of his and Bernice's venture into club volleyball, where they changed the paradigm and made youth sports better. From the Lone Star State in the city named after Samuel Houston, we're proud to bring you part one with Dave Epperson. Please note this interview was recorded on December 17th of 2019. Okay, we're very good. All right. Um, so, so Dave, you started to tell me a little bit about the genesis of the, uh, the festival, mm-hmm. but um, I'm interested also in, in your backstory. Mm-hmm. Now, were you um, born in Northern California? Or yes, I was. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I went to Stanford. Oh, oh really? What, what about basketball in Stanford? Is that right? Now, mm-hmm. what about um, elementary school? Did you? Um, were you in which area were you in? The near Sacramento. Near Sacramento. Uh-huh. Is that where you you, you got involved yes. in sports? Yes. 
backyard sports. Is that right? Who got you going? Mm-hmm. Do you remember who got you started in playing athletics and so forth? I don't think so. It's, it was a neighbor, neighborhood gang. <laughs> yeah. Got us all involved. Oh, nice. We always had something going. What uh, high school did you go to? Woodland High School, which is in a small town. Woodland. It's now almost a suburb of Sacramento. It's grown. It's about 60,000 people, and it was about 5,000 when I was in high school. Oh, is that right? And uh, you played basketball there? Yes, I did. Any other sports? I was. I went to the state championship in, uh, as a high jumper. Is that right? All right. Um, and so, uh, so, so did Stanford recruit you, or did you recruit yes, Stanford? No. Stanford recruited me. Is that right? Berkeley and Stanford both recruited me, and I chose Stanford. What made you um, go in that direction? Well, I, I, I learned very early that the academic program there was more demanding, and even though I wasn't prepared for it, it would be a good, uh, it would be a good thing for me to have as a part of my credentials for the rest of my life. <laughs> Is that right? Now, um, so what was what was who was coach at Stanford in those days for basketball? Well, when when I when I arrived, Everett Dean, who was just finishing his career, who had been uh, coaching at the University of Indiana before he came to uh, Stanford was the head coach, and then Bob Burnett was the, his his, his, uh, his freshman coach, and he coached me as, as a freshman, and then then he became my varsity coach for the next three years. Well, was this about the time Pete Newell was up in that area? No, uh, it was before Pete Newell. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, what would you play in basketball? Were you? Well, in that time, you know, a six foot six inch guy could be a center. That's right. <laughs> Not anymore. He has to be a point guard. <laughs> That's right. Wow, fantastic. Mm-hmm. And and, and uh, what was it about um, athletics that uh, that you learned then? You know, at that younger age. Did I? Did I? Yeah. Like, what did you take from athletics that would serve you later? Well, I think the you know the perseverance that is required in order to develop your skills and. For me, that that was not a hard thing to do because I really enjoyed what I was doing, and I played whenever I had a chance. We play any place we could, you know, on concrete or yeah, asphalt or whatever. You played against a couple of prominent athletes as well, right? Well, I did at Stanford. Bill Russell and and Casey Jones were on the University of San Francisco team, and they won the national championship two years in a row. Like fifty nine or something like that. Or uh, no, maybe you know they, no, they, they, they uh, Bill Russell graduated in uh, fifty six, okay. and uh, so it would have been fifty five, fifty six. But uh, he he was he, he was a freshman, I think, the year that I played played against him. You you just um, we're, we're sharing a little bit about John Wooden now. He would have been coaching down. Yeah, UCLA. Yeah, and they really, they really made it difficult for us. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we had a lot of, uh, we had a lot of uh, frustration down there. And was Stanford still the Indians at this point? Yes, they were. Indians. Yeah, right. Yes. Wow. So, um, and then what did you study at Stanford? In psychology. I studied psychology. So you went right into that. Yes, which is, which is what I got my master's and my PhD. And then you shared with me that you uh, served as well. Yes, in Korea. And so that was after Stanford? Uh, yes. And I went through ROTC at Stanford, and then and my obligation was a two-year tour, and then I got sent to Korea. 
What did, did any uh, how did that serve you um, in in Korea? Like, did you learn well, a different type of discipline or anything? No, actually, they they uh, they made they, they uh, uh, I always I had some really good assignments. I was a special services officer, but but mainly they they recruited me when I first arrived to play on a basketball team. So I was on a team that was there to entertain college former college players that played basketball around the around the area. And then we went to Korea and, and to Japan. We went over to Japan and competed against the military teams over there. Oh, excellent. And once once you returned, um, did you go back to school at this point or did you start your No, I, I, I just had a bachelor's degree and I got a master's degree while I was teaching school. Uh, in the Sacramento schools. Now I understand, I think your your family had been, um, I think I read somewhere they were in your homesteaders since. Yeah, my, my great grandparents came in 1853 and, and settled in. Each, each brother got 160 acres. And so we had a 308, 320 acres spread there that so stayed in the family for a while. Wow, so you were, you were ingrained in Northern California then? Yes. What, 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 what now did, did you take um, what you a professor? I think I, I saw it, Illinois. Or is that your well, first job? My first job was at UC Santa Barbara. That was okay. my first assignment there. And uh, there I was, I was an assistant dean my final year there. And then wow. I went back to uh, the University of Illinois and was the department head. And eventually the uh, uh, associate problems for the university system, and then they sent me up to be the dean of education at the Chicago campus, and then I went from there to uh, Northwestern University, where I was uh, was a professor and administrator. See a lot of uh, similarities between Northwestern and Stanford. Yes, yeah, and they're they're really very good places to work because you have a lot more flexibility than you do in a state university, where you have all the layers of uh, uh, um, organization that you have to go through if you want any new programming. Yeah, uh, but now I, I take it somewhere along the way you met Bernice. When we were fourteen, is that right? We've been. This is our this is our seventy fourth year uh, to new New Year's together. Wow, that's so well. So it sounds like Coach Wood. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so you're so while you're making these moves, you're raising a family at the same point. Uh, no, we, we didn't raise a family until we'd been married for 13 years. Okay. Hannah, uh, Brian's husband, uh, wife, was uh, uh, was born. And that was when we were at, it, at Illinois, University of Illinois. The University of Illinois, Illinois. Champaign. Mm-hmm. Did you like that area? Very much so. Very much so. It's, uh, university towns are really a great place for people, for raising a family. Really wonderful. When did you first um, notice... Um, the sport volleyball. Was it, was it when, when, daughters? Yes, it was my daughters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, well, actually, when I was at Stanford, we played uh, uh, we played two hand volleyball. Uh, you know, all of the living years uh, uh, played two man volleyball, and I played, but you know, I didn't know how to play. And, and a lot of Southern California kids, they came and they they knew how to play, and, and so I didn't really I didn't really develop my skills there very much. I would have. I would have been perfect uh, candidate for yeah. for the team. We didn't have a team at Stanford. We didn't have a volleyball team. Uh, although George Yardley uh, uh, 
was was just preceded me there. And George Yardley played on the USAB team. Sure. That was the USBBA in those days. He was a national. He was a, uh, a an All American and in both volleyball and uh, and basketball, like Erickson like was. Like he was at Now, um, tell me a little bit about that two on two volleyball because that's really interesting. I know, like the genesis of it in Southern California had to do with. They were setting up a six-on-six six beach game, but only four people showed up. Uh-huh. Hey, was that was it just because of the numbers? So uh, you I don't know. Or, I think they just imported it from Southern California. It had been going on for some time before it came to Stanford. And then all of the living units, all the fraternities and, and all of the living units had courts in their backyard. So it was, uh, yes, yeah. uh, asphalt courts. So like it would be on the basketball court. Right, right. Wow, that's really cool. So that's where you first got it. You, you understood that there was like volleyball and what the rules were. And those right, right. But the power volleyball, we call it power volleyball, which was what we played. They, they didn't have, uh, they, uh, they, they really didn't play that game at that, in those days. Okay. But it was a much more backyard kind of thing, except for the, the, what, at the US BBA uh, tournaments. Uh, the um, Okay. National championships, which they continue to have, they still have those tournaments for for adults. Wow. Okay, so you got to introduce it there. Then when you're out in um, Illinois, you know, your daughter's born by what year? Sixty-six. Uh, okay, she was born sixty-six, and then the other one was born in sixty-eight. And something pulled you back out west. Yeah, the job. <laughs> Good for you. No. <laughs> No, actually, actually, my uh, the thing that really took me back home was my father had a, ma- a massive stroke and had aphasia, and I came, I had a, uh, I was on a sabbatical, and so I went out there to, to, to help him, and so I helped him. Uh, I, I took over the management of his uh, assets there. He had an industrial park and also okay. an automobile agency. And uh, so I helped with, with those things in order before I moved. So we moved to Southern California. One of the reasons we moved, we want our daughters got involved with volleyball and they wanted to learn how to play the game and they figured that the quality of play was better in Southern California. It's still happening today. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, but now they learned how to play in Illinois a little bit? Or they learned the rules? No, 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 no. They, didn't, they were babies. They were young. Oh, so yeah, when they came out. Yeah, they, they didn't learn volleyball. They didn't. They thought they... They both played basketball before they played volleyball, yeah. but uh, they were starting a club there in town, so I decided I wanted to get behind the sport. What part of town? In, in Davis. Okay. We lived in Davis at that time, near the university. I said, man, they were part of the Davis Volleyball Club. And then, so, here you are, you're driving them over to practice. Right. And, and raising funds. And raising <laughs> funds. Because they got to get out to the desk. Now, is this about the time of um, Title IX? Uh, no, Title IX was not until, uh, I think I lost. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. Uh, Title IX was not until 1972. Okay. Uh, and then when, when the girls, but they they, it, 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 they, did, they got started about 1978 or 79. And so there was already some movement, but it was very there was it was very sluggish during the first years of Title IX. But then it started to take off, and at that point, I thought I wanted to kind of throw my efforts behind that that, 
that venture. And, and so that was one of the reasons that Bernice and I got involved in, in uh, forming a club, I mean, helping form the club and in working with the, with Gary Colberg at the national championships. When um, Title IX passed in 72, were you, were you aware of it? Because I, I wasn't sure, like, I think it, it, it was passed for a different reason besides athletics, but then it was used, I you know, moving forward. Yeah, I was very much aware. I was yeah. I was politically aware in those days. So yeah, I, so you saw that. Uh, but, I, but it didn't register with me as much as, because we didn't hide about my wife hadn't had no experience with sports okay. when she was growing up, and and I, uh, I I said you know if we have daughters I would like them to get involved, but that's about the end. Of, that was about the extent of it. Either. Yeah, it sure has, and it sure has benefited women's athletics on mm -hmm. so many levels. No question, no question about it. So your uh, your girls are, are playing, right? And uh, they're enjoying it very much. So, and you got to get where uh, Omaha, I think. That was that was the first one that they they had to go to Omaha, and so 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 you got to figure this out, right? Yeah. We had to, we, <laughs> so, had to, we had to raise the money to, to get them to Omaha. How did you do that? that? Was the first thing. Well, we, we had to car wash. We did the usual stuff. <laughs> I love it. The usual That's stuff. awesome. And, and then, but but by the time they we we got them ready for uh, going to uh, uh, back to Chicago for the AAU tournament, uh, one of the things that. We, what I was able to do, there was a very wealthy farmer in the area, and I got acquainted with him. Uh, and uh, uh, he also owned a casino in in, uh, in Las Vegas, Maxims. Okay. And uh, so I, I approached him and I said, you know, I've got I've got about three thousand dollars put together now for for us to, to get going, but you know, I need another three thousand bucks. To get to get the team there, and he said, and I said, we'll put Maxim on our on our uniforms. And he said, fine. <laughs> Thank so, so he wrote out a check for three for three thousand bucks. Is that right? Yeah. So so you were sponsored by a casino, right? <laughs> that's that's, that's kind of like Chico's Bail Bond sponsored the Bad News Bears, right? <laughs> that's all right. Mm -hmm. okay, that's very creative. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. So you got um. So you got your team out there now. Did you have to um, qualify for that, or was that a no? There was no qualification. It was an all comers. In those days, there were so few teams mm -hmm. that was not an issue. Where did you see the best teams from besides Southern California? Uh, the Chicago area. They yeah, had, they had some pretty good teams. Chicago has had a long history of, um, of high quality, mostly elite programs. Not not very much for the ordinary athlete. That, you know, they want that sports performance. Program where they went oh, on and recruited all the best players from the high schools in the whole area, and that's a big area. So. That's a big area. Mm -hmm. When did you get involved in coaching at all? Not in volleyball at all. I coached in I coached in junior junior high school when I was getting ready to get my master's degree, and I coached uh, over in uh, Korea, both okay. basketball, basketball and uh, track and field. But you see some similarities in their court sport and some of the same skills. That are required, right? Exactly. So you sign in your girls, right? Right. Right. Now, how many? I'm, I'm always kind of curious about those days. How many um, events, like how many tournaments, do they even have for programming on the West Coast? Uh, on the West Coast, uh, in Northern California, at Lakes and Southern California, they had a, a league, mm. uh, and you could enter any any teams could come and play in the league, and there were no restrictions on the quality or anything. 
And John Dunning, who, who was at Stanford and, and at, at, at UOP before that, he was coaching the high school team. And he had been a basketball player. And so he and I uh, hit it off. And I had a started a relationship with him back in about 78. And then, of course, I followed his career and, going, and, he, and he ended up at my alma mater and won two national sure championships did. there. And he won championships in, uh, in, uh, at, uh, at UOP before he came there. He sure did. So so uh, your girls uh, in, the, in, the, in the club gets you out to um, Omaha. Right. And right. And, uh, and I, were you telling me before, would you come in second to sport performance? No, no, no. That, 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 oh. was at, that was at Chicago. How, how, how did you do in that Omaha tournament? Well, the, the girls didn't do I mean, they were, we were just a country, country <laughs> club. I mean, a okay. club from the country. But you got recognized, you, you, you and your wife got recognized because you were able to get your team out there? Well, that was one of the reasons. And the other one was is that we volunteered at the university to help promote their women's basketball program. And we devoted ourselves to trying to increase the size of the, uh, uh, the fan size there. They had usually about 50 people come in for the, men, for the women's game, and then by the time the men's game came on, there were maybe a thousand people there. So we said that that's gotta be improved. So we went out and distributed tickets. We got the athletic director to give us tickets and oh, distributed right. tickets to high schools and junior high schools in the area. And we went from uh, we went from about fifty uh, 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 fans to uh, actually as many as a thousand by the time we wow. finished working. That that was what connected us with Gary Colbert, who was also an employee of the university, and. Uh, it, and one, yeah, in Nebraska. Pardon? No, no, oh, yeah. in, 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 no, no. Gary Kohlberg was at, at the University of California at oh. Davis. He's the founder of the of the of the national championships. Okay. Um, when when you're out in Omaha, and by the way, that Nebraska fan base is something else. Isn't that wonderful? Did did they host the tournament at the university there, or when did they host that tournament? Do you remember? Uh, you mean the, the tournament the you did? You did? Yeah. yeah, at a small college. Small college. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Once you um, spent a couple of years going to those, somebody came to you to say, hey, we'd like to see you run something out your way? Uh, Wink Davenport came, he, the head commissioner of Southern California, and he said, you know, we need it. We need the, the Gary Colbert decided he would have in Rhode Island, he would have the national championship. Well, that meant that the majority of California teams couldn't get there. I mean, it was too too expensive to get there. So he'd like to have something on the West Coast that would try to be able to serve those people. So that's that's when he recruited me to, to and Bernice to do and that's, that. And that's 1984. Yeah, that's right. And Bernice, you know, because she the fact that she was an accountant and she helped uh, get the uh, the uh, USDBA uh, out of debt when she went to work for them. Uh, that they, they were impressed with that. Gave, so my wife gave me a little boost to get, to get my agenda. Get you, get you moving a little bit. Uh -huh. yeah. Now, what did you, you do? How did you get this going? Well, so this is it. This is it. Like, well, this is it begins. Right. The boom. Well, I, I, I recruited uh, Dave DeGroote, who was uh, a, uh, he actually was, uh, you know, played, uh, played volleyball in Southern California. And uh, uh, he uh, he was as assistant coach at uh, at 
San Jose State. And he, oh. and, he and his wife uh, were assistant coaches there. And uh, so I recruited them to, to, I didn't know enough about volleyball to, to be able to, to have any credibility to, to, to run a tournament, so I got him to, to work with me. Okay. But then I was the one that created the format, that with the festival format. And you, and, and you got that idea because you went to a national tournament and somebody only got a couple of games on a couple That's of right. Matches, right, I was at the AAUs, yeah, the AAU event, they only, they only got a couple of matches. And, they spent all that money to get there, and so I thought, once we thought you know, if they, if they could get, and, and we, that, well, at that time, kids really needed to play, yeah. because the sport, the, the, you know, the, the game teaches the game, sure. and they don't, if they don't have enough experience, then they're not going to get much better. So that was the, the driving force that, uh, that created that, that the format, and, and, and it inspired me to continue to Tell me about developing that format. So you, you you just you figured certain teams that are eliminated this day are going to drop to this bracket to this bracket. Okay. So exactly. Yeah. Did you learn that from uh, any kind of basketball tournaments no. or anything? You no. Just, you just no. came up with it. Yeah. 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 No, I had uh, never seen a tournament like that. Something else. But I, I I I I had the goal, and that was what I needed was the goal of getting those matches and try to make. It. The first year it was I didn't do a very good job. And, and we we try to make transitions from one phase to the next during the during the, uh, during the event, and uh, that didn't work out very well. I mean, people were sitting sitting uh, uh, unattended to for a period of time. So the next year, I was able to, to, to reformulate that and make it possible for people to play a, a day's worth of competition and then move on to the next day and the next day. All all. Uh, mm -hmm. Progress requires change, right? And then what we did, we had three days of competition to start with, and then we had a day off, and that was for clinics that we ran for for, for the coaches, and for we ran some special events for the uh, officials. We tried to uh, get apprentice uh, apprentice coaches and apprentice referees involved in the, in the event so that they could improve their skills, so that we could have more tournaments and we could. Serve more, serve more kids that way. I mean, I was as interested in the ordinary athlete as I was in the elite athletes. Whereas the most of the associations were, were mainly interested in, in the elite athletes. In the elite athletes, and they formulated their tournaments in order to, to for the for the for the cream to rise to the top. And we didn't do that. I mean, we we accommodated those people, but we were able to to. to to uh, continue, we our our bottom our bottom uh, our bottom category our division that we had we had divisions of four teams in the mm -hmm. final in the final day, mm -hmm. and uh, we called that uh, we we called that the character division because it took a lot of character. <laughs> because by the time they got to them, when they by the time they got there, they had lost all of their matches. Now two two of those teams two were going to have their first win. And, the, and one team was going to lose when two matches. So they go the winner yeah. of that division had had two wins. Yeah, maybe, maybe they had two, ten, 10 losses. Maybe yeah. they just excited over that. And they were they were. Time. And they, when they go back on the airplane, they would uh, they would say, you know, they would come with their trophies. That's right. And we had tro we had trophies for all of them, and they were all the same trophies. So they would people wouldn't know whether they. When yeah, they, they come back with that. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, and, and I find this interesting. You um, you played at elite level yourself, but mm -hmm. you seem to have this um, respect across the board for athletes. Yes, I do. That, that extended both genders, all, all the way up and down. And, right. and so, and you must have also developed some goodwill with the parents and administrators that were coming to your event in order to try these new innovations and fail perhaps the first time, but in knowing where you wanted to get with them. Yeah, well, you, you have to remember that I, I came to the sport as a parent. So I always had the parent in mind whenever we made any kind of talk. Uh, when we, when we uh, orchestrated a large uh, opening ceremony, the opening ceremony was not only for the athletes, but for the parents so that they could we could promote the sport sure. through the opening ceremony. And we did that for years. And you got that idea maybe from the Olympics or something? Yeah, Nobody else was yeah. doing that in volleyball? No, no, they didn't. So you brought that to volleyball as well, right? It was a really expensive undertaking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and at that time, though, it was really important to promote the sport. It was really important. Well, tell, tell me how you coordinated that. Um, because did all the teams arrive on the same day? Yes. Uh-huh. And then they would all participate. They would all participate. And then we had grand, the Grand March. And when we were in, when we were in uh, 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 arenas, why we have them come into the arena and, and, and march around, and, and you know, nice. it's much, we try to make it as much like an Olympic event as possible. Uh, the 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 growth of the event. So your first year in '84, you remember about how many teams you had? Yeah, about 150 boys and girls. That's a lot. Yeah, this so your first, first, year, game. first year. Yeah, and then, but, but we actually only had, I think, about maybe. 80, uh, 80 uh, girls teams. Okay. And then we took it over to Berkeley the next year. And uh, we did the, both the boys and the girls. And we learned that the, the girls really came there because they had been working in the clubs and had, were developing their skills, whereas the boys were pickup teams. And they okay. didn't come with the same kind of seriousness that the girls did. And it was kind of a disrupting effect having the boys there. So the next year, the third year, we dropped the, we dropped the boys and we focused, it focused on the women. When did you start to see a lot of out-of-state teams come? Well, they, they came, some out-of-state teams came the very first year. Wow, that's so Oregon, Oregon, Oregon and Washington, we actually had some teams from, uh, early on we had teams from New York, we had teams from- By the way, huh? Yeah, from they, right they, they wanted to come out less? And well, yeah, uh -huh. Uh -huh. they did. They, they, they wanted to test themselves against the West, the teams out West. And uh, we had some really good teams. John Dunning had a really good team in Northern California. They won the, they won the, the uh, championship. Uh, their high school team won the state championship, too. You also developed um, AM and PM ways. Right. And that was to accommodate the growth? Uh, no, it was, it, was, it was an administrative move to try to get as many teams as we possibly could in, into the mm -hmm. event, and so that we would, we would co we could coordinate the, uh, the 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 play. It was a lot. It was more of an administrative move. That that allowed for you to take in more teams. Right. Right. Well, it also provided a better experience for the parents as well. They didn't have to sit around in the gym the whole day. The whole time. Yeah. See, I, we were focused on the parents. Because we were focused on the parents, they, they were able to come and spend a half a day at the gym rather than a full day. In the first years, they had to spend a full day sure. because we, uh, yeah, we, we were on the format. 
Um, there's there's something else uh, that I heard. You started with the three ball uh, rotation. A four, yeah, for for to speed up the game. And then that's because in those days, in those days, the scoring system was not a not a, a very uh, very amenable to the format that we had. Now the new form, the new the new rules, you know, yeah. where the point on every every every, every uh, serve, it uh, makes it a lot more easy. It makes it easier for us to administer. Yeah, you can. You can Estimate the time a little right. More, yes, you look a little more yeah. more clearly. Um, although some of the drama has had the, the drama of the side out game was an awful right, lot of fun right, when it come right, down towards right, the end, yeah. right to see who was the big right. side out hitters. But for yeah. purposes of getting to the ordinary athlete and for getting their parents to see their children play, uh, this new format is. I mean, this new 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 rules are much better for them. Thanks for watching and listening. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is produced by me, Marley Rice, and Christine Jinbo, and edited by bad boy Bobby McCall. Original music courtesy of Lennon Music Production, and original images courtesy of Sienna Lennon Photography. A big thank you to all of our contributors of the show. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is a production of Sports Stories, Inc., and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, YouTube, or wherever you watch and listen. Make sure you press that subscribe button, give us a review, leave a comment. It will really help us grow the show. And you know what else will help us grow the show? Head on over to patreon.com slash Jenny Lennon to get some never-before-seen videos, pictures, interviews, and so much more. We are all over social media and constantly sending out clips on Facebook, conducting fun polls on Twitter, going live on Instagram, and more. To find all of our social media links, head on over to sportsstoriespodcast.com. SSDL proudly supports the My Stuff Bags Foundation and the Heroes Movement. Links to how you can support and help these foundations can be found on our website. We also want to give a big thank you to all of our partners of the show. So, as Coach Lennon would say, any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email me, Marley, at info at sportsstoriespodcast.com. We want to thank all of our followers and listeners, and we will see you next time. Come as you are, as you were, we have no enemies, take your time, hurry up, the choice is yours, don't be late, take a rest as a friend, sports stories, sports stories, sports stories. Check it out, book!